Hey everyone, I'm your host, Wesley Tran, and welcome to Recovering Travel Junkie, a podcast where we'll be discussing how traveling has impacted a person's personal growth and purpose, and we'll be diving deeper to understanding the world's different human beings. Welcome to Recovering Travel Junkie. Today, we have another special friend of mine. She's an occupational therapy student, a Harry Potter fanatic of the House of Slytherin, recreational athlete, and avid animal lover. She is my friend, Megan Butterwick. Welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me today. Yeah, so glad to have you on this podcast. And so the first question I like to ask people is, do you remember where we first met? Well, (laughs) oh, we first met at Point Loma in San Diego, and we were put in the same psychology small group. And so, yeah, we saw each other every week, and Mm -hmm. I forgot what we did in that group, but that was the first place, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it was like an introduction for freshmen to get acquainted with college. (laughs) (laughs) No, but my first memory of you, actually was through the Point Loma Facebook page. If you remember oh. that, like class 2019 page, I think. Uh-huh. And I think we interacted there for some reason. I forget what. I think everyone was doing introductory Yeah. And then oh, we finally yes. formally met in that psychology yes. class. Yeah. I forgot about that Facebook page. <laughs> I know, I don't touch it at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... You were born and raised in Rancho Cucamonga. Can you tell us where that is and what it was like growing up there? Mm-hmm. Um, so Rancho is about an hour east of Los Angeles. Um, it's in San Bernardino County. So there's not a lot going on there right next to the mountains. Um, but yeah, I was, I, well, I was born in Fontana, California, which oh, is the that? city that's right next to it. And then we moved to Rancho when I was about like three or four. So Mm. I, and my grandparents lived in Fontana. So we would go back and forth all the time. Um, And both my parents worked in Fontana as teachers. Um, So I did go to school in Fontana for a little bit, but then I ended up transferring and coming to Rancho. So yeah, anyways, a lot of my, like experiences are in Rancho and that's where all my friends are. Um, yeah, yeah so there's not a lot going on. How would you identify someone that's from Rancho? Like, are there any distinct qualities or stereotypes that would identify as a Rancho Cucamongan? I wouldn't say there's like stereotypes or anything, but um, everyone who's in Rancho knows that Victoria Gardens is like the big hangout place, which is basically just an outdoor mall. But mm. that was like the big hangout of Rancho. And so everyone in town would just go there because there's literally nowhere else to go. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's like restaurants and like, it's not in the middle of nowhere, but like there's restaurants and like different things. But Victoria Gardens is like the big hangout. And if you want like, well, if you want like nature, you can go to the mountains, but there's this one hike in Rancho and it's um, to Etiwanda Falls, which is just like a little tiny waterfall. So you basically hike in the heat with no shade oh, dang. at all. And you just hike there for like an hour and then you get up there. And sometimes the waterfall's going, but most of the times I've gone, it's just been, been like a little stream, but. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And what are you most proud of being from Rancho Cucamonga? Like wherever you go, a thought just comes in your mind and like, yeah, I'm grateful that my home has this. I think I'm just, I like the location, obviously. Like it's close to all different things, like the mountains, you could get to the beach in an hour. Um, so you can have like snow and the ocean all in one day if you really want to. Oh, wow. um, so the location is really, really nice if you want to. And you can go to LA Usually you could take like the Metro and get there in about an hour. Um, driving there's a little tough, but. <laughs> uh, yeah, LA traffic. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
But yeah, yeah, it's fun to like travel around and say I'm from Rancho Cucamonga and then everyone's like, what the heck is that? And then sometimes people will bring up like the TV show Workaholics, which I've never seen, but apparently it's located in Rancho Cucamonga. So we get that a lot. <laughs> what was your most ancient experience? interesting experience when someone asked you like about Rancho Cucamonga? Um... I, well, I just get that people think I'm just making it up. Like, it's just a made up place. Like, they just think that I just, yeah, that I just made it up. It does sound a little funny with Cucamonga. Yeah, I know. I didn't even know it was a place. <laughs> well, until I lived there, but <laughs> most people think it's just fake. <laughs> so how did you know you wanted to get into occupational therapy? Was it during your time? in Rancho Cucamonga or during your time in college when you went to San Diego? Um, I think I always knew I wanted to be in some sort of like the medical slash science field. Um, and a lot of summers I would go and visit like my grandparents in Florida and my grandpa actually had a disease and it's called um, myositis and he lost the ability to do any type of like walking and he was in a wheelchair for most of my um, every time like I came I would see him doing like different like physical therapy and stuff and just I had to watch that whole process over the years and so I always knew I wanted to go into something similar to physical therapy and so I was in high school and I had no idea what I like where I was going to college or like what I wanted to do specifically so I was just like eh, like I'll just try physical therapy like I'll just put that as my major and if I end up not liking it then I can always switch majors and go a different route mm -hmm. and then when I got to Point Loma everyone it seemed like everyone was there for physical therapy or going for physician assistant in my major and I don't know I just kind of felt like it wasn't the perfect fit for me, but it was almost there. And so I started doing like research online and I was like, I saw something called occupational therapy and I was like, well, what the heck is that? Cause like most people don't even know like that, <laughs> that we exist. So, um, I found it online and did some research and I thought it fit me perfectly because it's just more, it has more of a psychology base to it. So you're really taking into account the whole person that you're working with so it's really more holistic um, so can you tell us more like what it is to someone who's never heard it before mm -hmm. yeah so it it is similar to physical therapy in that you are helping your patients like rehab back into doing being able to get back to doing things that they like but occupational therapy is more focused on the whole person so taking everything into account um and just taking their occupations which is like their all their interests what they want to do specific goals um what they value it just takes everything into account and that's the main focus of occupational therapy so it's mm. not just focused on like like getting treating your muscles to be stronger it does include that but it's more focused on what a person is more passionate about. Mm. And so what tip would you give someone to find their passion? Like how you found your passion through the internet, how would you give someone else guidance to find theirs? I think I would just say anything that really sparks your interest and something that you would enjoy doing long-term, I'd I think if you find something interesting, then you should stick with it. Mm -hmm. um, and if you don't feel like it's quite right, maybe like look around, maybe you're close to what you think you want to do. But yeah, I would just say, just stick with what you think you're interested in, kind of go with your gut. Yeah, that's an awesome tip. <laughs> and so during your time at PLNU, you did a border pilgrimage to Mexico, correct? Mm hmm I did. How was that experience and how did that impact you as a person? I think I was, I think I was nervous to go on it because we are literally, we're walking across the border to, into Mexico and I 
had been to Mexico before, but it was more like on vacation, like with my family and we went on on like a cruise. So I had never like actually been in Tijuana before. And what expectations were running through your mind during that time? You remember? (laughs) I think I just know that Tijuana is not always the safest place to be. Mm. Um, And I honestly didn't have a ton of background on it. That's the only thing I had heard about it. So I think I was, that's probably why I was very nervous to go, but, um, but yeah, we ended up, I signed up with the school, um, for the pilgrimage. And the first thing that you do is you drive about, it's only like 20 or 30 minutes to the border from Point Loma. And so we piled in the van and we went and saw like the wall on the U S side. And if you go, and look at the wall, it's all very plain and it's just like barbed wire and like, it's just kind of a typical wall. But you could see people like on the other side and you could talk with them. So we had a few conversations with people on the other side. Were there side. any conversations that stuck out to you that you still remember to this day? Um, I wouldn't say there, not on that part of the trip, mm-hmm. but... I vaguely remember like having conversations with people through the gate in Spanish though. So it wasn't, I couldn't go that deep or anything because my like Spanish speaking skills are not like the best. So, mm-hmm. but we did talk to like a, a guard, like a border, I forgot what you call them. Patrol. Like a, yeah, border patrol. And he was just kind of telling us what they do. Um, I don't really remember a whole lot. I just remember the that the wall on this side of the U.S. side was just completely plain, and it it had really it would just looked like a wall. But then we ended up um, crossing the border, so we did the walking way. So you just walk in, and then they check your passport and all that. And then we went to the Mexico side of it, and the Mexico side of the wall is all painted, and it has all these different quotes and like it's just like super colorful and everything, all these murals. And at the edge of the wall, there's, so the ocean's over here. So then the wall like continues on to where the land is, but it goes all the way into the ocean, but the very tips of the Mexico side are painted blue. And we are asking them like why it's painted blue on the top because um, it went all the way across And so they were telling us that they painted it blue. So that kind of just blends in with the ocean because um, people are sad that the wall's there and they just want it to kind of just go away. So I thought that was really cool. Just seeing the difference, just seeing the difference between the two sides and people were like playing like instruments and like there's a party going on on the Mexico side. So I thought that was awesome. But (laughs) And how did that impact you? Like did any perspectives change? Um, it, my, I understand the need for the wall, but after talking to people on the other side and just having conversations, it did make me pretty sad that there is a division in between people just because it's two different countries. Um, Mm -hmm. because I did see the beauty of the other side of it. Um, so, Mm. Yeah, I'm in between on it, but I definitely it makes you think a lot about just how different the two different countries are, even if they're just like divided by one little wall. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And <laughs> can you tell us about the mission trip you did to Guatemala and how your experience there was? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this was in high school, uh, my mm-hmm. junior year of high school. And my, my best friend, her family owns, um, they own, it's called Maya Relief and it's kind of like a nonprofit, um, but they go to San Pedro Carchal, which is the city we were in. And um, basically we learned how to build stoves and install water filters for the people living there. And oh. so, And so our first day, we just learned how to build the stoves. And then after that, um, for about a week, we 
traveled all over. And sometimes the people would live kind of in the middle of like very rural, like we, we didn't really know where we were going sometimes, but we'd have to carry like all the bricks and everything, all the pieces for the stove had to like be carried up a huge hill. And it just took Wait, a lot of Was it an electric stove or like a fire stove, brick and it, mortar stove? It was um, like concrete kind of. So um, usually people in Guatemala, the people that we are serving, they usually just had open open fires inside their house um, in order to cook. And so um, it would get all smoky in there in their house because the smoke is going all over and there'd be open flames. So that's dangerous for the kids if they have kids running around. Um, so and people who were like the women who were cooking, like they got burned easily. So mm-hmm. that's what most of the most of like their stoves were. Um, so the point of us coming in with the stoves, we use, these ones had like a little chimney that we would have to cut a hole in the roof and get the chimney to go out. So it carries the smoke out with them. Um, and it has like a, like a steel stove top, I guess. And then Mm -hmm. the rest of it was like brick. So Mm -hmm. we built those just to kind of just prevent any kind of injuries and smoke inhalation and stuff. So, yeah. Oh, wow. And then the water, the water filters were because people got water poisoning there a lot because their water is not always clean. So that was also something we did. And that was just kind of like a, I forgot the material, but it was, it's a special water filter that was in, invented. And then you put like a plastic bucket on it and then it, it's just a water filter. We didn't actually build them. Mm-hmm. We just kind of brought them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> And did you work with any of the locals? So did the nonprofit cooperate with any of the locals or was it like a third party nonprofit coming in to help the Guatemalans? Um, so my, my, I went with my friend's family and they have their connections. So we stayed at like this little kind of, it's not really a hotel. It was more like a underground house kind of. I don't really know how to describe it. <laughs> We had to go like down the stairs to get in. So it was, oh, wow. I thought it was like underground. So, and it was kind of in the middle of a neighborhood. Um, and we weren't like allowed to like leave really because um, it could be dangerous out on the streets. But we mm-hmm. just stayed in there. But we had like um, this guy, he was the one who t- like taught us how to build the stoves. He lived in Guatemala and he was like a native. And then we had this lady and she would, um, cook for us every night so we um, got traditional like Guatemala food which is just like mostly beans and rice and some kind of meat at night but she was a really good cook <laughs> but wow. um, yeah that was pretty much it for the people that we worked with mm, that's cool <laughs> and so now you're doing grad school in Indiana how mm-hmm. is transitioning from the Southern California lifestyle to the Midwest like? Um, it is much different. It's, it's much different. And a lot of people ask me why the heck I moved out here. Like a lot of people don't understand why I left California. Um, but I just kind of wanted a big change in life. And just, I thought grad school is kind of my opportunity to go somewhere new in the United States and just try something new. Um, But yeah, it is much different. It's definitely more country than compared to Southern California's mostly big cities and like, like the freeways here are not equivalent to like freeways over in California. Um, There's more trees. (laughs) I don't know. Like the freeways here are like, like two lane highways and you oh, wow. could be, apparently you can't drive in the left lane for a long time. Cause that's just the passing lane, which I didn't know when I first got here. So I was just like cruising what? in the left lane, like usual. <laughs> no, they're dotted lines. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Maybe I'm not the best driver, I guess, but, <laughs> but I don't know. It's, it's so much different. And I really like 
being more in like of a naturey area with not super busy mm-hmm. cities. And around. I understand you took a road trip from Rancho Cucamonga to Fort Wayne, Indiana. Mm-hmm. How was that experience like? So that was really, really fun because um, I told my parents, I was like, if I'm going to do like be driving across the country, I want to make it fun and like see all these new places that I've never seen before. And mm-hmm. my my dad had just retired that year. So he was like, all right, let's go. We're going on a big road trip. So he let me plan it all out. And at first we were planning on just going pretty much straight to Indiana, but like stopping along the way. So we would have gone like kind of through Colorado and then, um, so we would have seen like Colorado kind of go up a little bit, but, and see all the mountains in there and then, um, continue on kind of going that direction. Mm -hmm. But we ended up actually going all the way North first. So we went through, we started at Hearst Castle. We drove up to Hearst Castle, um, and we took a tour of that. Um, stopped around San Jose um, and hey, my stayed with my I know <laughs> and we because uh, my uncle lives in San Jose so we stayed at his house and we saw the Winchester Mystery House um, which was interesting and then we kept continuing up and we camped in the Redwoods for about three days um, oh wow yeah so we brought we brought all our camping supplies well just a tent I shouldn't say all of them. We brought a tent, basically, and, like, some firewood, and um, I had a whole bunch of blankets that I was bringing, but but that's pretty much all we had, and then we bought food when we were there, but we camped there for three days and went hiking a lot on those days, Um, and then we continued going up, so we went up through Oregon, and we saw like Molonoma Falls, which is a big waterfall that's there. And we saw the coastline, which was really pretty. Um, so we stopped at the beach a little bit. Um, and then we kept driving. And my dad was like, hey, you want to go see Mount St. Helens? <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds really fun. Like, I've never done that before. And so I put in the GPS and we start driving. And we're driving for like two or three hours, it felt like. It was a long time. And mm. then we were like, he was like, this doesn't look familiar because he had been there like a lot of years before. But he's like, this does not look familiar at all. <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? Like, <laughs> isn't this Mount St. Helens up? Like, we're basically like, driving around to get to like the part that was um blown up by the eruption and then he looks at the gps and he's like oh my gosh you took us to the wrong side of mount st helen (laughs) (laughs) and so i i took us to the part that was not blown up so but then we're so that was a little bump in the road but um we were really pressed for time that day so we didn't actually get to see the actual part of Mount St. Helens that we wanted to see. (laughs) And then (laughs) we continued up to Washington and I stayed at one of my professors from Point Loma. He let us stay at his house. Um, And he lives right next to Mount Rainier National Park. Mm -hmm. And so he took us, um, it was called Crystal Mountain. And Mm -hmm. it's across from Mount Rainier and we had lunch at the top and everything which was really cool. Wow. And then, <laughs> then we started heading, oh no, then we went to Seattle. We were not supposed to go to Seattle, but I convinced my dad. And so we went there for a few hours and then we started heading east, <laughs> finally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, then I stayed at my old roommate's house in Spokane for about three or four days. And she lives right on a lake. So we did a lot of fishing (laughs) and I caught my first fish, which was really fun. Um, Then after that, we camped in Glacier National Park for a few days. Um, Oh, and I completely forgot my favorite stop of the whole trip. (laughs) It's in Oregon. And we um, went to Crater Lake National Park, which was beautiful. I loved it. I think that's one of my favorite national parks I've been to. And we hiked all the way to the bottom and put our feet in the water. And that was really fun. That was my favorite wow. part. 
and I can't believe I forgot it. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so back to Glacier yeah. National. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were camping in Glacier, and we took like the. It's like a red. Some I forgot what the name is, but it's like a red car that has like an open top and then so you can like see everything above you and it's a very famous like touring bus over there um but yeah we did that okay so I also forgot another um part of my road trip that I thought was pretty funny but it happened before Glacier National Park and I I really wanted to go to the Bison Range, which I had no idea what the like what it was gonna be, and I just wanted to see like a bison. And so I um, had my dad. We were driving to kind of the middle of nowhere in Montana, and we ended up at this Bison Range. And it, we accidentally got on like the loop, the big loop, which took like a few hours. So we accidentally wow. spent a whole lot of hours driving. We barely saw any bison. Oh. Um, but at the very end, we like we couldn't even like get out of our cars because the bite there was like this huge herd of bison right next to our car. It literally could have just rammed into us. Like it was wow. like two feet away, maybe. And they were all grunting and we we're like, oh my gosh, like this is really actually kind of scary because they're huge. Um but that was kind of a fun little part <laughs> that um we accidentally spent a lot of time there. And so then when we headed to Glacier National Park, it was already getting to be late. And so we we made it into Glacier and there's this one road that's, I think it's called the Road to the Sun, which mm-hmm. is like a very hard drive and you're driving, it's very windy mm-hmm. and um, and you could like just drop off the cliff basically if you're not paying attention. Wow. And so I, and that's the road we actually went on in those red like cars that I was talking about um, on the tour. But when we were coming in, um, my my dad was like, we are not driving on that road in the dark. And it was raining. And so I was like, okay, yeah. like we're going to have to go this way, this other way. Um, and But it takes like two more hours. And he's like, all right, that's fine. And so we we're driving and it's dark, rainy. And then I lose reception. So I lost the GPS basically, but we had like a map. So it was okay. And it was foggy and we ended up going to like this little road that um, was washed away by a storm, (laughs) but the map is saying to go that way. So we can't come rolling into our campground around like 2 a.m. after this little journey in the fog and cold and like nowhere. We don't know where the heck we are. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That was Glacier National Park. And after that, we kind of had to start heading all the way through Montana, which was just pretty much just driving through a very long drive. Um, in North Dakota, we ended up just spending the night there. And then the next morning, we went to Theodore Roosevelt National Park, which is, I had never heard of it. Basically, there's a lot of prairie dogs there and a really beautiful landscape. Um, there's, it's just like a huge valley with the river running through and the river like carved out the whole valley. So um, we were there for Midwestern geography. (laughs) (laughs) I had never known that that was even a national park. But (laughs) but yeah, we ended up there and we're still driving a lot. And we end up going to South Dakota and I forget if it was North or South Dakota, but my Dad wanted to go to this place and it was called Bridgewater. Yeah, it's called Bridgewater. And his neighbor, from when he was a kid, he had a neighbor um, who who was from Bridgewater, pretty sure it was South Dakota. And she had always told all these different stories about it. And so he grew up listening to these stories. So he's like, okay, we have to go to this little tiny town and we have to find it. by the time we got there, it was dark and it's a little tiny town. So like people in small towns, they are very connected and they 
like they notice notice if something's out of place and so we were trying to like <laughs> we were it was like midnight and uh, we always got to places at midnight but um, it was all dark and I was like oh there's the Bridgewater sign and so my dad's out there and he's posing for the like by the sign I'm like trying to take his picture and then these neighbors who are like watch they're watching us this whole time then they're like hurry up like get out of here before we call the cops and they're all yelling at us like and we're like oh no like we can't we can't get the cops can't come and find us but so we got out of there really quickly and we drove to like a random hotel um we saw Mitchell's Corn Palace the next day which is just a big giant building made of corn and like there's murals that are made of oh. corn kernels and like That's a whole gymnasium. So Midwestern. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's not what you think about in California, but <laughs> yeah, it was it was just a giant building. Like the whole outside had murals with corn kernels and there's literally a basketball gym like stadium in there with like murals of like corn with all these different like they just had different like pictures and stuff so we went there mm. um we saw mount rushmore in the daytime and the nighttime Aww. and that was fun yeah that was really cool because you only really i mean i had been there when i was little but i didn't really remember it but mm. I, it was just kind of cool because that's one of the iconic like american things to see i think mm-hmm. um how is it in the nighttime? It's really cool in the nighttime. Apparently, they um, sing like the national anthem at like I don't know six or seven at night every night, and everyone like who's there like like they play music and they all sing the national anthem, which is pretty cool. Oh wow! We we missed it, but <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, and like the lights are there's like light shining on it. Um, it was under construction when we went, like. I don't really know what they were doing, but the whole area, like the observation area and the hiking trails and stuff were kind of blocked off. But Mm. um, we went back in the daytime and we got pretty close and took all our pictures. Um, Yeah. And then at one point we went to Minnesota (laughs) um, Mm. on our road trip because my aunt and uncle lived there. And so we went to Mall of America and my grandma ended up flying in from Florida and surprising us. So that was fun. Yeah. So we got to hang out like with family over there for a few days. And then we had to drive to Fort Wayne. Well, we were only supposed to drive to Fort Wayne that day, but I really wanted to go to Chicago. And so (laughs) we ended up taking a little detour to Chicago and we went up in Willis Tower, which is like when I'm guessing one of the bigger buildings in Chicago. But mm-hmm. we like went up there. It was all foggy and rainy that day, but um, we paid to go on like the. It's like a clear, like. Is it the leaning glass? Yes, you can. Yeah, you can lean on it, and like the floor is transparent too. So you're like just looking down. And so we were oh, so cool. Um, we were in line for it because everyone wants to do that. And so we were in line and it's all foggy until we got on there and the fog cleared and we were <laughs> perfect for our picture. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we went to see the bean, which mm-hmm. I thought was cool. And then <laughs> we really did have to head to Fort Wayne because I had orientation the next day for school. So wow. we kind of had to rush our road trip, but Mm-hmm. It was really fun. And that was about a month long, maybe. So wow. all of that. Yeah. So what would you tell someone who would have a similar trip to be prepared? Like, were there any mistakes that you did that you would tell someone to avoid during a month long road trip like that? Um, I would say our road trip went very smoothly. <laughs> Because the only mistake I can think of was me putting like guiding us to the wrong place on at Mount St. Helen. <laughs> but yeah. honestly, like we had we didn't have any car trouble or anything like that. So 
I mean, I would suggest having a pretty good car or like know how to like how to deal with car issues. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think our timeline, I thought like for a big road trip, the timeline would be like very set. Like we're going to this place, this place now. But I don't know. I felt like it was just more spontaneous at some points. And I was like, oh, like we have to go here. We're close enough. Um, Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think just to have fun with it, because if you're on a road trip, you might as well, like I said, like if you're near something new, like why not? like take out the time to go for it but yeah I mean we were pressed for time at the end but we made it so it was good (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah that's so cool so glad you got to Mm -hmm. experience all those things yeah Mm -hmm. it was great (laughs) let's transition into one of your favorite countries Australia Mm -hmm. so where did you visit and what was your experience like So I visited Australia technically two times. My first time was when I was two years old, but I'm always like, that doesn't count because I don't remember anything. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we, my family, we went to like Sydney, Australia that time. Um, But yeah, I didn't remember anything. So for like my whole life, I was like telling my parents, oh, and my brother, he got to hold a koala and I did it. And that was like my only memory (laughs) of Australia. they said i was was too young so i was like (laughs) okay (laughs) we need to go back and make things right and so um we were supposed to go for my high school graduation but we weren't able to do that i think because of cost um but we did end up going when i was i think a sophomore at point loma so we got to go and we have family friends there that my dad met like years ago so they were like yeah come and visit us and so we just stayed at their house and they live about an hour from Brisbane Australia um and so they picked us up and they like took us all around um by their house and stuff um and so yeah that was really cool we they took us was the experience like easy for you as an American and English speaker going to Australia? I think going to Australia is much less of a culture shock, at least compared to other countries, especially non-English speaking countries. It mm-hmm. is different because they have like accents that we don't have, but really like culture shock wise, I wouldn't say it's like that much different. Mm. Yeah, they I the one thing I remember though, I ordered a milkshake one day and they brought me literally milk with like strawberry like like syrup in it. And I was like, I think they messed up my milkshake. And then <laughs> so I ordered another one. I ordered a chocolate milkshake and they literally brought me milk with like a little bit of chocolate syrup in it. And I was like, is this like what a milkshake is here? Because when I think of a milkshake, I think of it as being like ice cream and like being like thick and that's Mm -hmm. not what this was so (laughs) I do remember that (laughs) and Mm. we tried Vegemite which is like a Australian like you put it on your like toast every morning like it's very Australian Mm -hmm. um it tasted terrible (laughs) (laughs) I tried it (laughs) yeah um but I know they serve some they often sometimes serve exotic animals just because they have such an extensive wildlife there Mm -hmm. did you eat anything out of the ordinary for you I did not (laughs) I can't say (laughs) that I did that was like wow I never would have guessed they would serve that here I honestly I don't know (laughs) I I can't recall any kind of like weird thing or like any kind of exotic dish that I saw, Mm. but. And so as an avid animal lover, what was your Mm -hmm. favorite experience with animals in Australia? So, yeah, I love the animals there. I, we got to go to the, um, 
um, Steve Irwin Australian Zoo that is near Brisbane, um, which was awesome. So we got to we got to go there and we took like pictures and stuff. And that's the place that years ago my brother got to hold the koala and I didn't. And so we got to switch <laughs> places. We got to switch places and we took a picture and I was holding the koala. So that was great. Um, and we could see there was a lot of kangaroos over in the zoo and everything. Um, wallabies, wombats, mm. Tasmanian devils, oh, emus. Oh, so cool. <laughs> yeah. So there's, I just love all the different animals there. And yeah. at one point, it wasn't at the zoo, but we went to like this like sanctuary with ant or with like a whole bunch of different animals. Mm -hmm. and so I was feeding all the kangaroos and one of the kangaroos he got really I guess he got upset with me and he um wanted food I was giving him food so I don't know what he wanted but <laughs> but I guess I wasn't paying enough attention to him so he got mad and got all defensive about all the other kangaroos and so he ended up like grabbing my shirt with his like with his little paws and like pulled my whole shirt pretty much and he like ended up Whoa. scratching me all the way down my <laughs> all the way down nice. my chest pretty much and then he ended up getting mad again after he let go and he ended up kicking me in the stomach <laughs> so that's kind of an interesting story but <laughs> wow <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I can say that I've been kicked by a kangaroo which is something that not a lot of people can say I hope <laughs> oh my gosh did you get the wind knocked yeah. out of you yeah, I did. I mean, it was, I w would think like it would have been worse. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> like, they're known for their really strong yeah, legs. I, I've heard like they can do a lot of damage. So I was fortunately fine. Like I just kind of was like, couldn't breathe for a minute, but like I was fine after. So fortunately I was, it was good. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And we actually ended up meeting Steve Irwin's family because we went to um, a movie premiere of Finding Dory while we were there. So we actually got to meet that the Irwins, which so is cool. Did you hear yeah, Bindi so got that... married this last week? Yeah, I know. She got married during the quarantine. And I know, yeah. I know, I saw that. That's really cool. Wow. Yeah. And mm -hmm. what other things did you do in Brisbane or just around Brisbane? Um, we didn't Experiences really that go... you would recommend other people to try and do too if they were to visit. Mm -hmm. Um, we didn't really go into actual Brisbane. We were more on the outside at near our friend's house. Um, so actual Brisbane, I don't really know. But yeah. there is this place that I wanted to go to, and you can like go in a shark tank and you can walk on the along the bottom in like scuba gear and like you're just kind of walking along with sharks oh, which so I've cool. always wanted to go shark cage diving so I was like hey that's kind of close so <laughs> we we didn't end up doing that but that was um somewhere maybe an hour away from Brisbane I forgot where it was but my family we ended up we one of my other like goals in Australia was to go to the Great Barrier Reef Mm -hmm. And so we flew up north. Um, it was maybe like an hour flight or something. We flew up north to Cairns, Australia. Mm -hmm. And because of like flying purposes, we weren't allowed to scuba dive because like you have to wait so many days before you can go on a plane or something. Mm -hmm. or that's my understanding of it. So we ended up, we snorkeled there, but it was very close to scuba diving. Um, and how's that experience? It was really, really awesome. Just, just, just to know, like, hey, like I'm at the Great Barrier Reef. Like, I don't know. It's just kind of like a feeling, like, of how lucky I am to like be here right now. And it's just something that I've always like dreamed of going to. So, um, it was really beautiful. Probably one of the best places I've been snorkeling or, um. Yeah, and it and it also kind of makes you think that you need we really do need to take care of our planet because um a lot of the reef is kind of dying off. So mm -hmm. and they were telling us like more if I had if we had gone more north, it was gonna the colors would be like very beautiful and like it'd be very bright colors. 
And in our area where we were snorkeling, it was beautiful, but it wasn't, it wasn't like the pictures that you see online, but it was just mm. more of the feeling of like, oh my gosh, I'm here. Like, this is crazy. Yeah. So that was really You fun. happen to know ways that people damage the reefs. Like I hear sometimes sunscreen can damage mm -hmm. the coral. Do you yeah. know of anything else we should avoid doing to preserve the reef? I mean, for sure, touching anything. Like, mm. I know that like can pretty much kill it instantly, but. Wow, that's good to know. I, yeah, I mean, that's not good to go and touch any kind of coral because it pretty much dies right on. Well, I don't know if it's right on the spot, but it's like, it's not mm -hmm. good to do that. But they yeah. did do good about the sunscreen thing. Like they gave, they, the people who took us out on the boat, they like created their own eco-friendly sunscreen and stuff. So mm -hmm. I don't know. I think it is just kind of like anywhere there's like an ocean or anything. Like if you see a piece of trash, just pick it up. Like mm -hmm. it's not a huge deal to do that. Um, just being respectful of any kind of anywhere in nature. I mean, yeah. any kind of like human, like, trash or anything that can be left behind can really have a big effect on anything in its natural habitat or anything so I think just mm -hmm. being respectful regardless if it's like the ocean or mountains or whatever mm -hmm. yeah and so near Brisbane and Cairns was the parts you visited in Australia were there any other places that you visited or was that the last stop that was that was it so we were there for two weeks we spent about a week near Brisbane and then a week in Cairns and we went wow. we went to like a few like rainforests up in Cairns and they were just like nature walks and stuff so it was much um greener up there is a lot more trees huge huge spiders oh my gosh the spiders <laughs> were so big <laughs> so are, are the stories true of the spiders being intrusive of, you know, just randomly flipping up toilets and seeing spiders. <laughs> Fortunately, I did not have a problem with that. But okay. I wouldn't be surprised because they're huge. Like, they're mm -hmm. the size, they're bigger than my, my hand. They're huge. Oh, whoa. Dang. Yeah, so, and, like, their webs, like, oh, my gosh. Ooh, I didn't like that. <laughs> um, we went to a giant pineapple. There's, like, I don't know if it's what? the world's giant fake pineapple but it was like a little museum and you got to like climb up the stairs and look at pineapple pictures and stuff and you could eat pineapple huh. <laughs> so huh. that was a fun little thing to do <laughs> but, so what would yeah. you say are the must-do experiences in australia sure the great barrier reef mm -hmm. definitely yeah definitely great barrier reef and I am an animal lover, so I would say at least go and see all the animals just because they're so different than anywhere else in the world. Um, mm -hmm. And how would they I see it? Know. Just through the zoo, safaris, or actually going out to the remotest or remote places? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you could go like to the actual outback, which I didn't have the opportunity to do. But if you do go to like the outback, I'm sure you'd see like lots of kangaroos and all that in their natural habitat. We went to the zoo. There's a ton of different sanctuaries and stuff um, where there a lot of the animals are like had been injured previously and then they kind of are taken to the sanctuary to like kind of either like recover or just to stay there permanently if they're not like gonna recover completely. Mm. But there's like t a ton of places to do that. So mm. I love the all the different animals there. So <laughs> that's something I'd say. Yeah, that's cool. And so in all of your travels that you've done, do you think all these experiences somehow contribute to occupational therapy at all? Um, like per for me personally? Or at least even like finding your purpose in occupational therapy during your travels, just like recognizing that, yes, through my travels, the world needs occupational therapy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can definitely see them connecting because everyone around the world, everyone, everyone is like completely different. 
People have all different types of interests and all different experiences come from all different walks of life. Um, so I think just knowing that is really kind of comes back to the point of occupational therapy is that everyone is unique and you need to, when you're treating a patient or something, you really need to take into consideration what's important to them and who they are as a person. And you're treating them as, as a person. You're not, it's just not like a problem to be fixed or something. It's really getting to know the person and what they want to get out of the experience. So I guess I can see that through all the different places I've been fortunate enough to travel to. Every place I've been is different in its own way. Mm. And all the different people I've met are different in their own way. So I think that's where I see the connection between the two. Yeah, I love that answer so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I like to ask this as a concluding question. But what is one experience you would recommend people to just do in their life to live a regret-free life? I would say to move somewhere new or at least a little bit long-term, get out of your comfort zone. Um, I never thought I would leave California like for long term but now that I have moved to Indiana which a lot of people wouldn't say there's a lot happening over here but I absolutely loved it like I the people I've met here are amazing just the complete difference from just going from the west coast to the midwest is just it's just different um and I now I don't even know if I picture myself going back to California after wow. I'm graduated. Um, I don't necessarily think I'd stay here, but I do want to go somewhere new. So mm. I would say to just go out of your comfort zone at least once and just try something completely different. So Yeah, that's so <laughs> cool. And then very, very, very last thing. Do you have... Anything to plug, like social media accounts or just like any charities, you know, or just whatever you want to plug in? Um, well, you guys can follow me at underscore Maggie B1212. I have an OT account now. It's very new. Um, and it's Maggie B underscore the underscore OT. Um, yeah, that's pretty much all I have, though. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Megan. This, yeah, thank you so for fun. having me. It was fun. Good talking to you again. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> hey guys, it was so awesome hearing Megan's experience traveling and how it all relates to occupational therapy and understanding people that are different and exposing yourself to a whole new world. Be sure to follow Recovering Travel Junkie on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and Facebook. Catch us next time wherever you get your podcasts. See you.